Hi, my name is Dominique, and together with my team, we produce the content for our weekly Swisspreneur episodes. This episode was produced in cooperation with the ETH Entrepreneur Club, a student organization which aims to inspire, educate, and empower the next generation of entrepreneurs. The ETH Entrepreneur Club holds more than 40 events every year, resulting in an impressive alumni list of successful startups. If you want to keep up with their busy agenda, make sure to give them a follow on social media. Yeah, I love competition. It's actually good for the whole, the whole uh, industry because you gotta push each other always. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Mark, uh, very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much. <laughs> you are the co-founder and CEO at Yasai, a vertical farming company uh, that is also based on the circular economy. So we're going to talk about your story, but before we do so, we would like to really start with your personal background. You studied architecture at the ETH in Zurich with a master's degree. That's not the really common way of then segueing into entrepreneurship. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> so in, in what way has that actually enabled you to become an entrepreneur? And, and in what way was it maybe also a challenge with having that background? An architect becoming a farmer. That's basically the story. And why would an architect become a farmer in the 21st century? This is the main question we should ask ourselves. And if we look at um, architects, learn a lot about space in general. So this is, uh, we master space. This is what we have to do or the, what we are educated to. And in this sense, if you look at the world as an architect, you will you'll recognize that agriculture requires so, so much space. 40% of all ice-free land is used to feed 8 billion people today. And this is a huge problem because if you look at where these people actually live, it's within the metropolitan areas, more and more so. By 2050, we will be urbanized by 80, uh, 68%. So most people will live and already live today in cities. Mm -hmm. And these, this area is just 3%. So you have 3% metropolitan area cities and 40% agricultural surfaces. And this is a problem which is spatial. So this is why an architect starts to look at, starts to shift the look from the urban to, towards the countryside. Yeah. This is a big trend going on right now in the whole architecture scene, mm -hmm. thanks to Rem Kolhas also. Okay, who, who is that? Uh, Rem Kolhas is kind of the godfather of, the <laughs> of architecture within the 21st century. Mm -hmm. uh, urban design planner also, very large scale. And he just had a very interesting exhibition in the Guggenheim Museum in New York, which is called countryside future of the world. Mm -hmm. I encourage you to look at, look at it briefly. Yeah. Great. So really thinking about the space and also we'll talk about your company in a, in a second, of course, mm -hmm. but then the, the mind models, the, the mental models was basically what you took away from the architectural studies. As an architect, you learn how to not to count work with time because <laughs> <laughs> you're doing models, you work night shifts, right. you work for a passion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same if in entrepreneurship. You don't work for a certain amount of time. You work for a goal and a vision. And uh, it's an ambition to, to reach a, a certain goal. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, this is pretty much the same feeling still. Yeah. And before you actually became an entrepreneur, you also took the traditional path I would say you, you were a junior project leader at an architecture and planning office. Mm -hmm. What made you then leave this traditional way and saying, hey, you know, I, I, I did my studies. I have a good job, probably pretty intense, but maybe also well-paying. I'm not sure. But then actually saying, hey, 
I leave that traditional way behind me and start my own company. Well, uh, I was fired. Luckily. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did you do to get fired? Oh, um, well, I, motivation was lacking. Mm -hmm. So I'm a, I'm a person which is very quickly motivated and excited about things. But once it bores me, bye-bye. And the same thing uh, happened there. And there was a project leader, a junior project leader in uh, Gebäude Technik, which is uh, yeah, building technologies. And it was nice, to be honest. It was very nice. We have very nice projects, interesting projects. For instance, the Pospinos Tower in, uh, in Bern. And at some point, I just realized that the ones who take the decisions always are the architects and the one who give the money. Right? So I was like, fuck, <laughs> uh, I want to be the one in the decision because I know which decision would be best energy wise and at this uh, point of time. Right. That's why I, I was okay with quitting and uh, I mean, they fired me, but I was okay with that. And then I just went to ETH as a plan B in a sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was that's the story there. <laughs> awesome. I mean, I, I think that's an interesting story, you know, because most often people in Switzerland they, they don't want to get fired and they also don't really talk openly about that. What did that did that do with you? I mean, now in retrospect, of course, it's like that was a luck because you then uh, found your way to entrepreneurship. But was there also like uh, any sort of negative feeling in, in the moment when it happened? Oh yes, of course. Insecurities. So you don't know. Um, it feels like failure, but to be honest, it's great to fail <laughs> because it, it disrupts your mindset and you need to really think new. You, you need to reshape and restart. How, how do you then cope with that, you know, to not end in a, in a negative way of thinking, but seeing it then as a positive thing? Oh, fall forward. So this is, this is the whole concept of uh, looking to the future and not backwards. Mm -hmm. yeah? So if you, if you just focus on what, ha what happened in the past, you will be miserable. If you, you, if you focus on what is possible in the future, you can be tremendously marvelous. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then um, maybe to sort of close the personal background section, there was also a trip to Mexico that actually really shaped you. Yes. Can you maybe talk a bit more about that and what it has to do with, with your entrepreneurial career then? Uh, yes. Yeah. Actually, Mexico was a, a, a very big step in my personal development, I would say. Mm -hmm. Because you get out of this comfort zone, Switzerland's super safe, and then you, suddenly you're in, in a real big city. And this is what, what led me there, besides falling in love with a girl. But this is what led me there. And if, you, if you're challenged with the troubles of a real big city, which is extreme poverty at one side, but extreme uh, affluent societies with, with crazy parties and stuff, you see the real spectrum of the world, which here in Switzerland, I would say, within this golden cage, you're not aware of. Is that a good or a bad thing? Both. I mean, Switzerland is a, is a beautiful laboratory <laughs> for a perfect world, let's say. <laughs> and if you get to these spaces, which are the majority of the world, in fact, if you go to Rio de Janeiro, Cairo, Mexico City, I don't know, you can even go to Los Angeles and see many homeless people, right. things like that. Or on the Asian side, Bangkok and so on. Mm -hmm. You see the full spectrum of uh, human lives or humanity, and then you then you start to ask yourself, okay, what's really crucial? Which which are the problems we need to face and challenge uh, in this in this uh, century? And this is something that I saw in Mexico: is food. Yeah. So food is uh, it's the source of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> And at the same time, there's such a diversity, which I experienced there. Mm -hmm. I thought my whole life was a lie because I saw all these different varieties of vegetables and fruits, which I've never seen, never heard of. Mm -hmm. 
And if and I think that's the tragedy of of the two-day supermarkets. If you go there, you just see a very very small variety of what actually is out there. Right. And if we can bring back this diversity in food, I think this is also something we would like to contribute to. So yeah, let's talk about that because then in in February 2019, you started your own company, Yasai. Mm -hmm. Please talk a bit more, you know, about actually what problem you solve and why the timing was right to to tackle this specific market. So Yasai means vegetables in Japanese. That's what it is. And uh, it's it's a technology. So if you look at technology, technology is always enable us to do more things with less. Either it's less time, less work, or less effort, less energy. Mm-hmm. And the technology vertical farming, the timing is very, very right there because the LED lights are super uh, cheap now mm-hmm. compared to 20 years ago. Right. And we chose a Japanese name for this company because the Japanese culture already implemented this technology very early on. But at this time, it was not very economical. Perhaps there because they have such a high density of people. So they really need to see how they uh, work with the space. In Tokyo, for instance, or Kyoto. But in, in, the, in the rest of the world, it was not a thing. Yeah. And then NASA came and took it. And they took it because it's uh, very water saving. So you use 90% or 95% less fresh water because it's a circular system. And it's in fact growing more with less. So more produce with more quality and taste with less resources, less fresh water, less space, horizontal space, you just go up. (laughs) And uh, yeah, also less ecological footprint in the sense that you say, we don't need food miles. We don't need pesticides. You can do it right here, right now, indoors, in your basement, on your rooftop, where, wherever you want, actually. So that's the beauty of it. And and what can actually what can you actually grow? Uh, so what what's like the the, the product? What's the result? Um, Theoretically, you can grow anything on hydroponics. Hydroponics is this soilless farming method. So you don't have soil you just have a substrate and the roots are more or less swimming within this nutrient water mixture Mm -hmm. and you can grow anything in this but the question is what is economically feasible right makes sense and if we look at switzerland today economically feasible is for sure herbs Mm You can see microgreens growing, growing like that from our uh, friends Umami, for instance. Yeah. And we will focus on herbs and a bit, a bit bigger leaves, mm-hmm. leafy greens, such as pak choy, rucola, things like this. Yeah. And this is something uh, we will see in different markets, different things will be economically viable. Mm-hmm. What influences that? What is actually economically viable in, in, in a specific country or place on the earth? So vertical farming makes most sense where there's few arable space and few freshwater sources. Okay. If we look at the, at the population of earth, cities are exactly that. Arid areas, extreme areas such as uh, Middle East. So the Middle East right now, the UAE just published a new, a new governmental mandate for vertical farming. So they want to really boost that up. Then um, political issues are also a thing, Mm -hmm. which means food security. So if you look at Israel, for instance, they are surrounded by the Arabic countries. And they do not have, have a real peaceful <laughs> relation with them. <laughs> so they, they rely on their own sources. So food security is a big topic there. And if you look at Switzerland, Switzerland almost imports 48% of all fresh veggies. So every second veggie you find is most probably from South Spain or Italy. 
and it just takes so much kilometers and energy to cool these products down from one to B and produce them and transport them. So this is uh, that's a thing. So you know, if we get that correctly, for me, the scope of vertical farming is basically mind blowing because you can solve and tackle so many of the big problems that we have. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's really the beauty of it. If we do it in a smart way, let's say. What does that mean? Like, what's a smart way for you? Um, a smart way is if we integrate it into the smart city. So either we just produce a much more productive food factory, but then it's not integrated. It's just a food factory, which is super productive, right? But if we integrate it into the whole fabric and base it on circular economies, then it really makes sense and then it, we can get to its full potential. What do I mean with a circular economy? We want to create circular food systems. So we want to recy recycle all the things that we use in the vertical farm, such as uh, wastewater. So right now we can recycle urine and we are doing research to use it within our vertical farms because we have a lot of nutrients in it and today nutrients are mined it's a finite resource right. and soon we will reach peak nutrients such as we did with peak oil mm -hmm. and this is uh, this is something where we think where we have to start in uh, to think in cycles yes this is uh, something I would say is, if you do vertical farming, please do it <laughs> this <Of course>. way. <laughs> Are there also any downsides of, of vertical farming? You know, I know you said like it, it works without pesticides, but are like, for example, the nutrients in, in your greens and your herbs, are they the same as you would have from a, a, a regular thing, basically? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, very much. I mean, you can use each technology for good or, or for, the, for the worse, for the better. And vertical farming could lead to, in one extreme, highly automated food factories, which are, which are monocultures, par excellence. Yeah? Or on the other side, you can, it could lead to integrated vertical farming systems, which improve resilience of uh, smart cities. So you can use this, these both spectrums. But in terms of uh, chemicals, there's f f uh, fewer chemicals involved than ever before. Because yeah. what we see today is, is chemically based, also organic or bio. It's hard to distinguish the outdoor farming between organic and uh, non-organic, because at the end it's the same ecosystem and sometimes these things just switch swap over right. so how how can you actually regulate that without being uh, indoors <laughs> got it what's also interesting to know probably for the listeners is what's your business model behind DSI like how do you earn money who are your clients basically what we offer at, at DSI is something called farming as a service we do not want to own the farms at the end we just help our customers, which are, for instance, retailers, wholesalers, re real estate developers, or mm -hmm. farmers, traditional farmers. And we want to help them to build this technology into their spaces, mm -hmm. and then also to operate these vertical farms. Because it's, a, it's, a very, it's, pretty much, it's very different how they work and what kind of labor and ex experience and expertise you need. At the end, these vertical farms are highly automated, which makes them very profitable. But then you need a software. So suddenly you need someone who's, who knows how to program things. You need the plant scientist who can read right. the plants in a scientific way. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, this is, it, it just switches. So the, you will still have the traditional farmer could become the vertical farmer mm -hmm. in the future. Wow. And, have new business opportunities there. Got it. 
let's also look at the market size. Is there any number in terms of how big the market is or how fast it's growing that you can share with us? There's a very nice report from UBS, the Swiss bank, uh, Food Revolution Report, it's called. It was from July 2019. And what they actually describe is the food and ag tech industry. It's, a, it's an industry which is itself growing rapidly from 135 billion today to 700 billion by 2030. Wow. Yes, so it's a, the whole industry there is very, very rapidly evolving mm -hmm. because of AI, disruptive technologies, digitalization, things like that. And um, within this food and ag tech, you have different fields. So vertical farming, high precision farming, which is vertical farming, is one of them, mm -hmm. which will, might reach about 23 billion by 2030. But there's also plant-based meat yeah, or uh, e-commerce, direct e-commerce for food, things like that. So this is, uh, these are different industries with one very large industry. Right. And this is why you will see, or you already see it right now, many, many vertical farming companies popping up mm -hmm. all around the world. And you have uh, big ones such as Plenty or Aerofarms from the US, Skygreens from Singapore, or Infarm from our neighbors in the north, <laughs> Berlin. Yeah. Great. So I see there's a lot of things going on and, and rapidly changing. So that's a very interesting market uh, to be in. Now I'd like to focus on your entrepreneurial journey um, and also look at the obstacles and challenges that you faced along the way. Um, one of the first challenges that you had to solve was that your first co-founding team actually didn't really work out. Um, and then you actually eventually also split. Can you talk a bit more about yes. how that showed, how you made the decision and also how you successfully solved it to not, you know, have no company at all in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was, a, I think that was a hard decision, but it was necessary. <laughs> because first we were three, we were a, a biologist, we were a mechanical engineer and an architect. The, the problem why it didn't work out with this uh, particular group was time. So, they wanted to contribute 20% of their time because one was doing a PhD next to it and one was in his master's. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, with 20%, you will not be able, in my opinion, to create a company. Mm -hmm. So this is where it didn't work out. And then at some point, yeah, we, we went different ways. How did that show in, in practice? Like, do you have any specific example where you really realized, hey, this is not working out, there's just not enough time? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, I was allocating a lot of my time last summer mm -hmm. uh, doing workshops. I even went to, uh, to Netherlands and things like that. And suddenly there were people working with Yasai and they have never seen the founders, the other ones. So it was like, Okay, that's, that's not good. It's not going to work. <laughs> no, that's, that's not good. And uh, I just, the, the only advice I can give there is if you do this, if you choose this path, go 100% and don't, don't try to do it like uh, 50%. It really takes a lot of energy and time. So if you do it, do it right. Don't be a maybe. <laughs> be, be fully committed or don't do it at all. Exactly. <laughs> but once you actually realized that this was, you know, becoming a real issue, how did he then, um, you know, talk to them? What did he do? Like, did he talk to them? How did he find a solution that was also good for the company? Uh, yes, we met. We met and we talked about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, of course, it was not a nice discussion. But that's how it how it was. They couldn't they couldn't have more time, mm -hmm. allocate more time. And I wanted to fully go on with this because with every technology you just have a little time frame. So timing is super important. Yeah. And if you don't get there within this timing, mm -hmm. 
either you're too early, the train hasn't arrived yet, or the train is gone. Yeah, too so, late. Too late. So this is why I was fully committed at this particular time. Did he even try to find a solution with them and ask them if they were able to invest more time full-time? Or was it clear from the beginning that, hey, this is not going to work. These two co-founders, they have to leave. Um, I mean, yeah, we tried. <laughs> yeah, we tried, but no, it didn't work out. And did they also have any shares as co-founders in, in the company? The thing is that we did not yet found it. Okay. It was founded this January. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't have a problem to solve there. That's, that's no. good. Because, you know, things can get pretty messy if you have, especially if two co-founders have to leave, um, then getting the shares back and so on, you need a very good contract. Very much, yeah. So at this point, we were more or less students sitting in the student project houses <laughs> of ETH and uh, brainstorming. Yeah. We had some meetings with some customers, potential customers, but it was very, very far from what happen after yeah. Absolutely. and if you go serious you gotta you gotta implement more things yeah and i think your your uh, you know key message key takeaway to really go full-time or go home basically yes exactly <laughs> that's very clear <laughs> but then you also have the challenge you know um switzerland is not the cheapest place to live and to buy food and so on and in the beginning, you usually don't really have much of an income from the company. So how did you manage that by committing full time, but still having to pay rent and pay for food? Yes. So it helps very much if you have some savings. Okay. So this is called bootstrapping. You strap your boots and you just walk through it. <laughs> so that's also what you did. Uh, yes. Yes. I gave a lot of my savings. I was like, yeah, take it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, food is expensive, but it's not expensive if you grow it yourself. <laughs> that's a good way. Is there any, any budget that you say, you know, when you start a company, that's approximately the budget that you should calculate with on a monthly basis to cover all your expenses? It depends how your lifestyle is. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm a more minimal, minimalistic personality. I, I value experiences and not materials. So. That's so what was your monthly budget when you started? I don't know, like how much uh, use. I was still used to the student life also, so 3K. Okay, yeah. got it. I think that's probably a good number. Uh, with 3K, you can also pay your health insurance and everything that you have. Yeah, you can get through like <laughs> absolutely <laughs> neatly. <laughs> Let's also talk about the second challenge uh, that you also faced. Now, you know, company was set up, was founded, but then it's also an important step to actually convert your clients to paying clients, right? Yes. Or convert leads to paying clients, better said. So can you walk us through how you actually do that and why this is a challenge for you? Yes, so it's a, it's a big difference whether your client or customer is a, a private person or it's a company. And we, we, we have both so far. What's the difference between the two from your perspective? Yeah, private persons, bang. Bang, <laughs> bang, I send you the money. <laughs> yes, that's it. And uh, with a big company, it's more like dating. So for instance, our first project that we could do is, was with Lafarge-Scholz team. And they came just right after to me after the master thesis. Okay. The master thesis was basically the idea of reusing mining landscapes to create vertical farms. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lafarge-Scholz team as a cement industry um, giant globally. So they have, uh, they have a lot of these spaces. Right. And for them, this was an interesting case. And after one year of getting to know them, they, they said, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's do a feasibility study together. And did they also pay money for that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of our first uh, project. But it took one year to get to that point. Yes, exactly. So that's the point. Private persons, instant money. <laughs> but less money usually, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with many corporate deals in the, in the B2B area, you often do like a free trial or a, like a free project to get to know each other. Is that something that you would recommend to do? Yeah, 
that's that's a that's a hard question. Acquisition. That's how we call it. So if you do stuff for free, we call it acquisition. <laughs> but you shouldn't do that for too long, because at some point you also generate value for them. Mm -hmm. They they can put it on their marketing budget if they want to, which means, oh, cool, we're innovative. We work with startups and so on. So, and usually they have some budget for it. Just there to ask. Absolutely. What, what, what's like the ticket size that you sell? Is there any specific deal size that you're aiming for? Uh, investors? Investment? No, more like for, for your B2B clients. So like mm -hmm. how, how much revenue should a B2B client generate for your company? Oh, very different. This can't be like generalized. It's, it's hard to say because it's very specific to the project. Okay. So for what for your basis, it's really on a on a project basis, basically how you come up with the pricing then. Yes. So we have a product, of course, the Beyond Earth curtains. Mm -hmm. uh, there we can set a price, which is easy. Um, but for the the vertical farms, they are, they go very different with pricing. So what the product is there at the end is um, the plant. So there we have to have a pricing and. This is the great thing about vertical farming. We, we can be even cheaper for certain products, up to 40% cheaper when it comes to herbs, for instance. Than the regular herbs at the store and so on. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's uh, impressive. Yeah, and that's, that's a big thing for, uh, for our customers. Right, especially if you do that at the larger scale, right? Then it really adds up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's what we are doing right now. So we built the first farm for Zurich, a vertical farm, and there we will focus on herbs and uh, leafy greens to produce nice. in a larger scale. Yeah. Looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah. When is the plan to, uh, to be up and running? Yeah, the, the quicker the better, but I think it will be January okay next year. Yeah. January 2021. Depends on the, on the waves of Corona. But. Of course, yeah. <laughs> You know, along the entrepreneurial journey, you usually also meet opponents and supporters. So let's take a minute to talk about that area. Um, opponents, you in the in the prep call, you told me that there were like internal, there were like people that actually stole data from you. Yes, uh, that was a story from an employee. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, very, uh, that's a shit story. <laughs> but let's, please let's tell say. it. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, there was an employee and he also wanted, uh, it was at the time where we were actually founding the company mm -hmm. and he mentioned interest to also be a founder, but we took him as an employee into the, into the team and he raised interest so much that he wanted to become a co-founder and we were already set up as a co-founder team, mm -hmm. so us four and we discussed that and said, no, it's not in our interest. And that was on Friday and on Monday, he was gone. All the things that he worked on were away from the drive. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that, wasn't the <laughs> that wasn't so funny to see. And uh, we were naive enough to do not contracts yet. We didn't sign a contract yet because it was we were fully committed to work and not for administrational right. stuff. So the two things that I can that I learned there is always do contracts, always. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And uh, yeah, the second thing is always do backups of your data, and then you should be fine. Yeah. Do, do you think that it would have been possible to try to to spot this person before? actually something of like that no happened. it was completely out of the blue to be honest all of us were kind of shocked yeah because we didn't know this person this way and the other thing is you know usually opponents can also be competitors um i think there is one that you actually also worked with in the in the early days uh yes can you talk a bit more about how you see the competitive landscape and uh, how the collaboration with this specific competitor from Basel uh, worked. Yes, uh, you're talking about grocer. Exactly. Um, yeah, I love competition. It's actually good for the whole 
the whole uh, industry because you gotta push each other always and like this you 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 stay innovative and active and yeah we work together for certain things we learned very much of him and i think he also gathered a lot of know-how from us and uh, like this we we were working and collaborating in a sense and we are also based in the same space kind of so in the smart city lab in basel and we introduced him to this space back then mm -hmm. because he he was looking for a, a place to set up his farm and grow quickly and that was that was nice for us because we wanted to be in zurich and then he's in basel which is nice so we have a uh, separate territories let's say <laughs> Yeah, and now we we are, we very look forward to this uh, to the race that we started within Switzerland. Yeah. So now it's like uh, who who will win the race basically? Yeah, it's a yeah. Or uh, I mean, enjoy the journey, but at the end, it's it's also always fun to have somebody to race against and to race with, and not just. Uh, being alone in a in a circle, <laughs> then you might be in the wrong market, right? If if you're the only one right there. Exactly. Yeah. It also proves that uh, this industry is also proving itself in Switzerland. So I think yeah, that's a very refreshing take to say, hey, competition is actually a good thing because it will make you eventually better in the end because it will push you harder yes. to really go full speed. Yes, exactly. And uh, people's awareness about vertical farming is raised, and I think that's. That's the main goal. That's what we are here for. We want to introduce and accelerate this technology within this century on this planet. So that's it. That's it. Right. Yeah. Great. Now let's look at the other side of the spectrum, at the supporters. I mean, obviously, ETH Zurich had a, a huge influence uh, on you, not only with the studies, but also with the Entrepreneur Club at ETH, our partner for this episode. Can you talk a bit more about how this uh, association, how the Entrepreneur Club at ETH actually supported you? Yes. Um, first, we, we were introduced to the Rocket Hub, the space. Mm -hmm. A very lively space with different kinds of people, with different kinds of ideas and projects, which is very refreshing to see. And at the other part, they have, they have these events. One event was very, very mind-blowing to me. Uh, it's, it's called the fuck-up night. So the fuck-up night was the night where startups, but also established leaders of companies talk about their stories and how they fucked up. And then they, they st stood up again and they fucked up again. And they st <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it takes the fear of fucking up or doing failures which is necessary to be innovative and create new things because most people are scared to try new things. Yeah. And um, especially the talk of Sean Bivier, who, who's the founder of Hublot, was uh, very inspiring to myself. Why? In, in, in what way? I know he has a lot of energy on stage. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. And what he said is... Uh, he just gave everything to his, uh, to his people, to his team, to his cust uh, cust customers also, but also his employees. So it's best to be give everything <laughs> because you can't take everything, anything with you after right. to life. So yeah, and just the way he sees life was very inspiring to me. He's a very positive person, and. Uh, even though he didn't didn't know how, he didn't study or something like that, this, but he just he's a doer, yeah. and at the end he he created a brand which is, to me, still very beautiful, yeah. and still innovative even though, yeah. because I I think one of his brands will be now on the next mission in space mission mm -hmm. with uh, the Chinese astronauts. Nice. I didn't even know that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So he, he thinks very, very far. 
to the future. I'm not sure how old, old he is, but I think he always says that he still has a, a very young mind. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that uh, thinking proves that, yeah. yeah. So events like this from Entrepreneur Club are very nice. Great. And also uh, startup speed dating. That's also yeah. good. Another supporter that you also mentioned was uh, VentureKick, because, you know, you don't really learn how to pitch at the, the studies of art architecture, basically. Yes. <laughs> and there at VentureKick, you do have to pitch and you get basically thrown into the cold water. So in, in, in what way has uh, VentureKick, beyond making you how to learn how to pitch, uh, supported your company? Well, VentureKick is really, they have so much know-how. They actually brought and founded this this whole startup scene in Zurich and around Zurich. And they the startups that they bring out are very, very good, very uh, powerful and very talented people, very ambitious also. Mm-hmm. And uh, besides, besides the know-how, how to actually pitch and what should be in a pitch, because you have no idea about this before, uh, and what, what kind of business talks you and business language you need to learn. Right. Uh, this is something you learn there. But besides that, the network. Because most business is done by network. And uh, you, can, you can have the greatest product ever. If nobody knows it, it's not a business. Nothing's going to change. And you recently also closed your fundraising round with 1 million Swiss francs. You know, we are now curious to know, like, what's next for you, for your company? What will you do with that money? Oh, we built a farm. (laughs) (laughs) We built a farm and we grow Um, as a company, but we also grow food finally. And this is what we are looking forward very much to. So the the farm that we will build up is, it's a a collaborative project Mm -hmm. with uh, specialists and experts from Netherlands logics and specialists and experts from Finland and Russia, iFarm. So uh, each one of them brings their particular expertise with it. And they already have some established vertical farms all around the world, especially logics. Um, yeah. And this is why this is why I think it's a very interesting project because different expertise come together and create new things. And also, Fenaco will be involved in it from the market side. So they they give us market access, they give us market know-how. Yeah, that's a very strong partner here in Switzerland, I can imagine. Yes, we are very happy to be able actually to, to talk with them and to think further with them also in the future, in the long term, and to establish perhaps new projects at some point. Yeah, maybe people who don't know Finac as a company, but they have huge brands like Landi, for example, uh, behind yes. that. And yeah. the company Finac is just a bit in the back and not very well known. But I think if you hear Landi, then you know, oh yeah, of course, everybody knows them. Exactly. Yeah. So they have a what they what's interesting about them is that they are between between the retailers mm-hmm. and the farmers. There is Finac, right. so they support the the farmers in a sense. They helped. They buy all all their products and they resell them to big brands, also s- such as uh, Migro, Coop, and so on. Yeah. And they have their own retailers, like Landi, as sure. you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what's your personal goal? I mean, where do you want to take Yasai? Do you want to take it to an exit one day and and sell it and get rich, or what's your goal? Yes, of course. IPO is a is a is a is a vision. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we want to establish a brand which enables everyone to grow food. Mm-hmm. And by everyone, I mean everyone. So I mean, everyone should be enabled to grow his own food with the right technologies, which makes you independent as a person, but also at the same time, you can personalize your food. Which means, because every gut is super different from any other gut. Sure. It's like universes, they say. <laughs> a very good book, by the way. Dharma uh, Charm. Absolutely, yeah. Highly recommend it. <laughs> and this, this is something which uh, I think is highly important that we start to grow 
by ourselves again. But with the new technologies, we are less independent. Uh, we, we're more independent because we have more time. We don't need to check all the way, all the time, the water, the lights and so on. Yeah. It just does. And yeah, with Yasai, we want to enable everyone to grow more with less. Mm -hmm. This is this is what we do. And also to go in space. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I mean, this is just... Um, Every technology that we have today, such as internet, works with satellites mm -hmm. and um, or let's say also vertical farming was brought to the next, uh, let's say, next point of expertise in space. So you basically want to use space to then grow your greens, your vegetables in space? Yes. Yeah, of course. And the, the thing is that if by going out there, mm -hmm. we learn new things about how to treat our spaceship, the spaceship of humanity, mm -hmm. which is Earth. So we're just uh, on Earth, going through space and time, wobbling around. But actually, by going out, we learn how to deal with an enclosed system mm -hmm. and create circular systems. And when we can apply this, then this know-how to Earth back, we as, as a humanity can create edible smart cities within a sea of biodiversity, yeah. instead of how it is today. Today it is uh, islands of natu natural parks mm -hmm. within a very urbanized world, right. yeah, full of agricultural scenes and so things like that. So if we can reverse that, we can become a, a part of the ecosystem and the organism or planet Earth, and not a uh, little COVID. <laughs> True. I, I find it very refreshing, you know, to hear these these big and also bold visions. I, I think that's uh, impressive and, and very good also for the Swiss startup ecosystem to, to have people like you who have these bold visions and chase them. How do you make sure that you, you know, despite having the, the great and big visions, that you still find to the bridge to build between execution that you need today yes. and getting in the right direction, but also being able to then actually deliver and execute. Yeah, so yeah, reality and dreams, right? Right. <laughs> how, how do you connect it to? Yeah, so you, you just got to start step by step. Yeah. And the most important thing, all the, the very important experts tell me and also our advisors, mm -hmm. is focus. So it's easy to get lost and because you have so many opportunities at some point. <clears throat> and just focus on the thing which is most important to bring this further, to, bring, to contribute to the big vision, to the big dream. And uh, yeah, that's the hardest thing right now, focus. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we finish this episode, I prepared some rapid fire questions for you. <laughs> I give you a selection or just a very short question and uh, you can answer in like one or two sentences. Yes. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Great. You also grew, uh, have like Egyptian uh, roots. So the first question is Egypt or Switzerland? It's, uh, Switzerland. Why? I grew up here and uh, I, I wouldn't be the person I am if I would not have been able to grow up here with this educational system. That's true. Uh, the, the mark that you see today is, is like that because of Switzerland. If I would have grown up somewhere else, it would be a different personality. Wealth or happiness? <laughs> happiness. <laughs> easy choice for you? Yes, very. <laughs> but I think it, it comes both. You know, it's like one thing. Okay. At, at Why is it one thing? Because you can be very wealthy, but very unhappy at the same time, right? Yes. Or you can be also very happy, but still very unwealthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But usually good, good vibes attract more good vibes. Mm -hmm. And that's how wealth is created, I would say. <laughs> what makes you smile? Oh, good food. <laughs> <laughs> that's the right answer if you're a startup. <laughs> yes. Experience or expertise? Expertise. Yeah. Why? Because we are we're living in such a in, a in a time where everything is changing so fast. People who are experienced in industries they can't cope. 
they can cope with the, the rapid acceleration of technology. Right. And that's why you need people who, are exp uh, who have expertise. Okay. Yeah. But if you have both, that's, uh, of course, that's, that's a great thing to do business if you have both. But if you got to choose, I would do this expertise. If you have both, that's the killer combination. Yes. <laughs> and the last one for you today, where do you go to think? To think? Oh, yeah. Um, a hike <laughs> or meditate. So this is uh, meditation is one of the secrets I would share with everyone who wants to. Where do you go for hiking and meditating? Meditating, you can do anywhere. <laughs> right. And hiking, yeah, in Swiss mountains. You have any favorite mountain? I think Rigi is nice. Yeah. There's this Mark Twain path. Mm -hmm. This one's very nice. I like that one. Yeah. Awesome. Mark, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for the interesting insights into a completely new topic for me. <laughs> and <laughs> now you. I really also see the potential of the vertical farming. And we wish you all the best. Lots of success with uh, you know the first uh, sort of station here in Zurich. And uh, we, we're looking forward to hear and read more from you. All the best. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to you. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of the Swisspreneur Show.